Hi, this is Tanya, and you're listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It's Sunday, December 10th, and it's time for the Word of God. Welcome to part three of our Advent sermon series, God With Us. Today, we're going to be talking about the promise of joy. We'll be looking at Luke chapter one, various verses there, as well as James chapter one, verses two through four. I have a lot to share with you, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But right now, let's have a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, thank you. We celebrate you. We worship you. We honor you today. Lord, come and teach us from your word this beautiful story about the promise of joy. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen and Amen. Have you ever given or received a puppy for Christmas? It's really common this time of year, and you see TV commercials about that as well. They show a super cute, tiny, cuddly fuzzball that's usually wearing a bright red bow around its neck. It usually comes either bounding around the corner or peeks its little head out of the box as soon as the kids or someone special lifts the loosely fitting lid. It's always adorable, isn't it? And it starts giving kisses and tumbling out over its clumsy, oversized little paws. You can probably feel the warm fuzzies even now as we're talking about it. So if you've ever actually given a puppy for a Christmas gift, you know what it's like to try and put that puppy in the box. The little bundle of love and joy, not to mention the dog hair and the accidents, doesn't want to be contained in that little box, does it? You certainly can't wrap them up the week before and stick that box under the Christmas tree. You have to work to keep the little puppy hidden, probably somewhere outside the house. Then you have to wait until exactly one minute before the kids arrive and drop the doggy into the box and probably bribe him with a treat or a toy so they can just keep him quiet for 38.6 seconds so that you can pop the lid and he's going to rush into the hands of his new best friend. Some people just skip the box altogether, hide out in the next room, put the puppy on the floor and let him come bounding into the room where there's all kinds of squeals of delight. You see, you can't contain a dog in a box. It comes spilling out with love and it licks everyone around. And it doesn't stop there. People who receive a puppy for Christmas, they just can't keep it to themselves. And why should they? They pass the little pup around to everyone in the house and they don't stop there. They carry it out, lead it on around the neighborhood, maybe on a little walk, first walk together. They drive it to the relatives or friends or the store, the salon or the dentist. Well, okay, well, maybe not the dentist, but they want to show and share this adorable little fur ball of joy with everybody they can. And then these people want to go and grab their kids, husband, girlfriend, or whomever to share the cuteness and happiness this little puppy shows. Joy's a lot like puppies. Fortunately, it's not as hairy and it doesn't make a mess. Joy is boundless and uncontainable. Joy overflows. And when you've experienced joy, you want to share it with someone else or as many people as you can. Joy bubbles over and touches everyone it comes in contact with. Joy is what we're celebrating today on this third Sunday of Advent. For the past two Sundays, we've been journeying through Christmas celebrating Advent. Let me give you a quick recap. The word Advent means coming or arrival, and the season is marked by expectation, waiting, anticipation, and longing. Advent is not just an extension of Christmas. It's a season that links the past, present, and the future. Advent looks back in celebration at the hope fulfilled in Jesus Christ's coming, while at the same time looking forward in hopeful and eager anticipation to the coming of Christ's kingdom when he returns for his people. During Advent, we wait for both. It's an active, assured, and hopeful waiting. And each week, we focus on a different attribute of God represented in the coming of Jesus. Hope, 
love, joy, and peace. Because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, he is the embodiment of these traits, who has entered our world and who fills us with them all. If you were here with us on this first Sunday of Advent, you remember we talked about Zechariah. Luke chapter 1 tells the story of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. They were the parents of John the Baptist, who was sent to prepare the way for Jesus, the Messiah. Zechariah was a priest who received a visit from an angel that told him in Luke 1, 13 through 15, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you will name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. The catch was that Zechariah and Elizabeth were old. Elizabeth was beyond childbearing years, and the couple had never been able to have kids. So besides the shock of talking to an angel, Zechariah couldn't get over the fact that it was possible for him and his wife to have a baby. And as a result, his voice was taken away until the baby was born. But today, let's look closer at Elizabeth, because in the story of God with us, she deeply experienced joy in the midst of miraculous events that she found herself suddenly in the middle of. But to understand Elizabeth's joy, we have to understand a little bit about her pain. You see, for the ancient Jews, children were a tremendous blessing. Psalm 127 verses 3 through 5 tell us, Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. Children allowed a family to pass on its name and heritage. They provided more hands to handle the daily tasks of life or to expand their ability to forge a livelihood through their trade or craft. Most importantly, children were viewed as a gift from God and a sign of God's favor. So then, to be childless, it was a source of great frustration, sorrow, and shame, and Elizabeth would have known this despair for years. She most likely would have married Zechariah when she was a young teenager, and the couple would have hoped to have children right away. Elizabeth probably imagined what it would be like to have a home filled with kids. She would have dreamed of holding her own babies. She might have even made lists of names in her mind, drawing from the family names that would be passed traditionally down the family lines. At first, Elizabeth might have dismissed the lack of pregnancy. Maybe the timing just wasn't right to conceive, or maybe there was a pregnancy. But then something happened and there was a miscarriage. While physically hard and emotionally painful, Elizabeth might have dismissed the first one or two as a fluke. But as many times as a pregnancy began, it came to an end prematurely. Friends and family probably offered encouragement and shared her sorrow. They might have offered advice that, while well-intentioned, was just plain hurtful. They might have said something like, well, maybe it's some sin in your life you need to confess. We tried this and it helped us get pregnant. Maybe there's just something wrong with you. Who knows how long it took, but gradually, year after year, Elizabeth's hope would have slowly died as she came to terms with the fact that something was wrong, that she could not have a child. And at some point, the social stigma would have stuck. They would have called her barren. It became a shameful and permanent mark. Elizabeth would have grieved over the loss of ever being a mother. She would have accepted the loss of the status that came in her culture from bearing children. She would never be considered as worthy or esteemed as other women. She accepted her fate as a failure in the eyes of her society. Still, Elizabeth must have known some happiness as well and would have been deeply involved in her community life, especially since her husband Zachariah was a priest. And though she carried her emotional burden beneath the surface, she and Zachariah remained faithful to God. Luke described them this way in Luke 1.6, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. This is how they planned to live out the rest of their old age, serving God and the people around them. And then God came. 
On an ordinary day with Zechariah at work in the temple, the angel Gabriel showed up out of the blue with this miraculous message. Let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 11. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure that this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. So now Zechariah couldn't even tell his wife what the angel had said. He would either have to write it out if Elizabeth could read, or signs and gestures to give his wife the news. Elizabeth must have thought that she was getting the wrong message at first. It seemed too good to be true. Hope must have kicked in her heart like a thump of a baby in the womb. Could she allow herself to go there? Could she open her heart to the possibility of hoping and waiting and praying for so long, only to be let down again and again and again? From what we can tell from Luke's account, it seems Elizabeth had an easier time of accepting this miraculous news than her husband because she said in Luke 125, How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. What's curious is that Luke also told us that soon after Elizabeth became pregnant, she spent the first five months in seclusion. There's no way for us to know exactly why, but maybe she knew no one was going to believe her news until she was actually showing or maybe she had been here before and she was afraid pregnancy might be lost like earlier ones. Maybe she couldn't bear going through the loss and shame publicly again. Maybe this was her way of sharing her husband's silence as they lived daily through a miracle unfolding before their eyes and literally inside the body of Elizabeth. What we do know is that in her sixth month of pregnancy, Elizabeth experienced a deep encounter with joy that brought the coming Messiah whose human life had just sprung into being in Mary's womb. As we discussed last week, young Mary left her home shortly after her own angelic visit and came to stay with her cousin Elizabeth for three months. According to Luke 141, as soon as Mary arrived, Elizabeth's child leaped within her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. With a sudden end to her silence and seclusion, Elizabeth's joy overflowed and she greeted Mary with a beautiful and insightful blessing found in verses 42 to 45. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. The puppy was out of the box now. Joy was flowing, and true to its nature, it was contagious. Mary burst into her own song of praise and thanksgiving as she gave words to the miracle happening through her. And finally, she was understood and believed and affirmed without Mary even having to explain, Elizabeth knew and gave voice to exactly what was going on. Maybe God had revealed this to her earlier. Maybe God opened her eyes on the spot as her own miracle son, John, recognized the miracle son of God, Jesus, within Mary. 
But more than anyone else in the world, these two women understood each other and shared a joy that could no longer be contained, no matter how difficult the circumstances they were coming out of and still faced ahead. Already, Emmanuel, God with us, was unleashing joy on earth, and already his joy began rippling outward. When Elizabeth gave birth to John three months later, the joy of her miracle spread through her village and family. Verse 58 reads, When her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. Perhaps there was no greater joy than that of a mother holding her newborn child. For Elizabeth, the joy must have been especially overwhelming. She was experiencing a miracle, and it was a miracle that healed a lifetime of hurt, pain, disrespect, and shame. And it was only the beginning of the miracles she would witness in her lifetime. What would you and I give to know such joy, beloved? To see the scars and shame of our life washed away so dramatically. Most likely, we won't see it happen through such an obvious miracle, but the joy Elizabeth experienced is available to us. This is the joy brought into our world by Jesus, God with us. And though we're living long past his time on earth, his life and his joy are available to us now. The Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. You rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Look back at verse 8. You see those words, you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy? Beloved, that's deep stuff. This runs much deeper than happiness. We love to be happy. We love to feel good. But happiness comes and goes as the circumstances around us change by the minute and the hour. Happiness can come from many things. Birthday parties and balloons, a favorite song on a perfect summer day, an encouraging message from a friend, winning the big game, a delicious meal. These are good things to be savored and enjoyed for sure, but they're all fleeting. And pursuing happiness for the sake of happiness can be a shallow, self-centered pursuit. Viktor Frankl, a famous Jewish survivor of World War II Nazi concentration camps, said in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, it is the very pursuit of happiness that thwarts happiness. Joy includes happiness, but it runs a whole lot deeper. Joy permeates, soaks deep into our souls. In our lives, the stuff of joy looks like the birth of your child, your wedding day, being declared cancer-free, your loved one coming out of a coma with no brain damage. Joy is rooted in gratitude, meaning, and hope fulfilled, especially when it's based in the relationship with Jesus Christ, because Jesus is the source of our joy. As we read moments ago, 1 Peter 1.8, Peter called it a glorious, inexpressible joy that is part of the inheritance we are receiving in Christ. With his life and the promise of eternal life beyond this world, we find the deep kind of joy that fills us no matter what the pain we still face on this earth. In John 16, 22, Jesus explained to his disciples about his coming death and resurrection. He said, so you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. As we turn our eyes expectantly to Jesus in this Advent season, and as we walk with him toward the day when he will come again and fulfill his healing work, we can experience his joy in the process. And we can know with confidence that an even greater unending joy awaits us one day. One day we will receive it in full. Yet even now we find hope and joy in what Jesus has done and what we know he will faithfully do in the future. And like Nehemiah of the Old Testament, the Jewish leader who faced great odds in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, we can experience the truth that, as Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. We compared happiness and joy a little bit ago. 
But if there's one defining characteristic of joy, I want you to take away from this this morning. It's this. Joy defies our circumstances. I'll say that again. Joy defies our circumstances. Happiness comes and goes with positive events and experiences. Joy flows deep even in the face of challenge, hardship, or suffering. Joy drawn from Jesus, God with us, sees the big picture beyond the immediate pain. James famously said it best in James 1 verses 2 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Joy understands that there is more than meets the eye, that God is at work always, even in the tough stuff of life. And eventually, God will make everything right and healed and whole, including us. Because of that, we can experience joy in the here and now, no matter how bad the here and now looks and feels. Sure, there's a process involved, and that's part of the point. As we continue to practice opening our hearts to God's Spirit, immersing ourselves in His Word, and aligning our thinking and perspectives to His ways, we experience His Spirit working within us, bringing us clarity, understanding, and strength to trust and see and act in the joy He provides. Let me ask you, beloved, what are the circumstances you're facing right now as we journey toward Christmas? What are the situations that are stealing your joy? What are the hurts where pain seems to overrule? I don't mean to make light of what you may be going through right now because I know the pain is real for all of us. But can I encourage you to take a look from another angle? Can I encourage you to ask God to give you another view, to show you his big picture? You may not experience a miracle as clear as Elizabeth's, but in Advent and in Christmas, there is a miracle for all of us. The miracle of God coming to earth to be with us, to heal us, to forgive us, to redeem and restore all our pain, to turn it into good. This is cause for joy, beloved, even in our darkest days. This was the message of the angel long ago announcing the arrival of Christ to those terrified shepherds outside of Bethlehem. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people, they said. Jesus has brought us joy, no matter what we're facing. Before I close today, I'd like to look at one more aspect of joy that we can apply as we continue our Advent journey. This is the fact that joy can be a choice and joy can be an action. We've talked about Mary in previous weeks, and we talked about her today as she spent time with Elizabeth. Remember when Mary showed up at Elizabeth's house? Elizabeth was overcome with joy, which spread to Mary. When it did, the beginning of Mary's expression went like this. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed, she said. These are important words, with the key word being rejoices. It's the active form of the verb joy. And this is Mary choosing and embracing joy in the role she had been given by God. She didn't have to. Remember those cartoons in old movies where an army sergeant or leader asked for a volunteer? The mission is dangerous, sometimes ridiculously so. It would require a brave and true individual willing to put his or her life on the line. He asks, will the bold volunteer please step forward? And you know what happens. At the same second, in perfect coordination, the entire line steps backward, leaving that main character standing in front. Forget volunteering. He or she has volunteered, whether they like it or not. Mary could have looked in her situation a bit like that. She didn't ask to be the mother of God's son. If she had been asked, she might have stepped backward. 
but instead she rejoices. She chooses joy. She focuses on the big picture and embraces her difficult role. In a similar way, in our own situations and seasons, we can do the same thing. We can choose joy. We can choose to rejoice. We can embrace the miracle of God with us and align our vision with the work he's doing in and through us. The Bible is filled with verses exhorting and encouraging us to rejoice, probably because we all have needs. We all need lots of reminders as well. Philippians 4.4, 4, I'm sure you know this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, Paul says, rejoice. And in Romans 12, 12, rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. And these are only the beginning, but the message and the takeaway is the same. We have reason for joy because God is with us, and we can choose to embrace that. Friends, let's choose to make this a season of joy. Let's rejoice as we figuratively await the arrival of Christ, and let's celebrate his birth with joy. God is with us, and so joy is with us, a joy that flows deep within our spirits and outward because our King, our Savior, is with us, always loving, always working, even in the midst of any hardship we're going to face. Psalm 511 says this, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Spread your protection over them that all who love your name may be filled with joy. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.